Welcome to Ranger Stories, a window onto America's national parks that ring New York Harbor. Radicals jeopardized New York's return to prosperity after the revolution, but reason, or rather scandal, prevails in the end, and the city secures its position as America's financial capital in the conclusion of New York, Revolution to Recovery. I'm Steve Lace, Chief of Cultural Resources for the National Park Service in Manhattan Sites. Among the leaders returning to the city after the revolution were those who had formerly been the leaders of the Sons of Liberty. Isaac Sears had become rich as a privateer in Boston, Marinus Willett and John Lamb, Uh, came back to the city, and in March of 1784, they rallied a big crowd out on the common to demand the expulsion of any remaining Tories and punishment of any of those who chose to stay. These radicals actually were encouraged by Governor George Clinton. Ignoring the terms of the peace treaty with Britain, they called for confiscation and resale of loyalist property. Lamb was appointed collector of the port, Willett was appointed city sheriff, and they and others who agreed with them dominated the common council. Conservatives like Mayor James Duane couldn't do very much to oppose these measures. In those days, both the state and the city governments met at City Hall, which we know today as Federal Hall, and they were joined there by the Continental Congress in June of 1785. So it's pretty crowded in that building because there were three governments functioning there at the same time. These radicals abolished the board of King's College, renamed it Columbia University, and it was absorbed into the University of the State of New York. They also disestablished the Anglican Church, thereby eliminating the taxes that had supported it, and Trinity Church lost its uh, privileged status and also lost its charter. But there was a reaction to that, and Alexander McDougall, who was also a leader uh, of that group, uh, agreed to reestablish it with a new charter, but also recognizing the separation of church and state recognized in the Constitution. In early 1784, Alexander Hamilton wrote two anonymous pamphlets calling for reconciliation with the Tories so that business could be normalized and property protected. He also argued that the Treaty of Paris, the peace treaty with Britain, uh, was a contract which had been entered into by the Congress, and that overrode the laws of individual states. As a lawyer, Hamilton also argued the same principle in court, and he won an important case with Mayor Duane, who was a fellow conservative, presiding, establishing that the Tory right to property superseded their unfortunate political views. Well, this conflict continued until later on in 1784, when the Sons of Liberty Sears, Lamb, Willett, John Moran, Scott, and others lost their power in the state assembly when it was revealed that they had bought up 
poor soldiers' pay certificates at distressed prices and used those to speculate in forfeited Tory property. Alexander Hamilton and his party took advantage of the radicals' losses and forming a broad alliance with city tradesmen and land-owning families like Livingston's and Van Cortland's and Schuyler's, these conservatives gained control of the state assembly. In fact, Hamilton himself won a seat in 1786 and 1787, and all the anti-Tory laws had been repealed by 1788. By 1800, you could say that the first period of the recovery of the city of New York had ended. The political capital of the country had been removed from New York in 1791 and had gone to Philadelphia for what everyone realized was a short temporary stay, and then finally to Washington, D.C. in 1800. The election of 1800 also saw the end of the Federalist Party. Uh, the Federalist Party of George Washington and Alexander Hamilton and John Adams, who succeeded Washington in office, uh, that party was, was effectively destroyed by the election of 1800, which saw Thomas Jefferson and the Republicans, as they were then known, Democrats today, uh, took power. And the reason that that was such an important change, unlike elections that we see today, was that the uh, Republicans brought with them a different philosophy of government, which emphasized the importance of state control rather than federal control, and limitation on the role of the federal government as had been envisaged in the Constitution. All of that was eventually balanced by the Supreme Court, but the immediate change was a significant one, and especially as new slaveholding states in the South entered the Union, uh, there were more and more senators and representatives with interests that were aligned to the South. Therefore, the traditional New England and Mid-Atlantic dominance of the Congress uh, was ended, and uh, the uh, Southern influence in the Congress greatly expanded, along with the election of several uh, administrations uh, headed by candidates from the South. So there was a real change that took place uh, in the country broadly, and that was reflected in New York City too, because having lost the political capital, we were left on our own as the financial capital. Uh, that had enormous impact, of course, uh, throughout our subsequent history. Washington blames New York, New York blames Washington, and it's always been a, 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 in a sense, a rivalry uh, between these two ultimate sources of our national power, uh, the finance and the political, uh, that uh, will, I expect, never be, never be resolved. Uh, but it's a good thing in, in many ways. However, it's a very different thing than what New York had enjoyed in that first period before 1800. 
For more ranger stories and information on the national parks of New York Harbor, visit nyharborparks.org.